Welcome back to the Lion Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. This is a place that we bring together the world's leading experts in all things health and wellness to help you optimize your mind, body, and movement. Today's fantastic conversations with my dear friend, Christine Hassler. Christine is someone that I have respected and appreciated for quite a while. Last, like, known Christine, I think, for the last four years or so. And she's been of great service in my own life with a lot of close friends. And uh, she's fantastic. In this conversation, she breaks down actionable tips, tools, strategies on how to effectively navigate our relationships within business, within ourselves, within marital relationships. I think how you do anything is how you do everything. And learning the, the fundamentals, the baselines on how to effectively exist in union pretty big deal. And that's what she covers in this combo, amongst other things. Christine is an absolute badass. She is a spiritual psychologist, or she's a master's in spiritual psychology, among other things. Uh, she's also an NLP practitioner. She's a best-selling author. Uh, she's been featured all over the place, including all like the major media channels, Fox and CNN and Today Show and all that stuff. So she's great. I'm very grateful and humbled to get to share her with y'all. This is, I think, maybe the second, third conversation we've had on here. So let's get into it. I, If you guys want to support this podcast, por favor, feel free to leave comments and reviews in Spotify and iTunes, wherever you're listening to this program from, and also uh, subscribing, sharing, and uh, just telling your friends. So thank you guys so much for tuning in. And here we go back to the program with my girl, Christine Hassler. What has your process in saying no been like? At first, it was really hard because I, I've been saying no to more things because I want to create more spaciousness in my life. And I'm really wanting to drop more into the superpower of the feminine energy and also break a pattern of overachieving and also thinking that if I'm not doing, I'm going to become irrelevant or things are going to stop happening. And it comes down to control. Saying no has really made me realize how much I tried to control things by saying yes to too many things. And saying no has given me this incredible spaciousness. But when I first started saying no to more things, it brought up that a lot of fear. Like, are people going to get mad? Am I going to go backwards? But what I found is that by getting out of the way, because when I was saying yes to the things that I was like controlling or creating or that just were coming in that weren't really in alignment, I wasn't making space for the things that really were, you know? So now I have a lot more free time, which is awesome. I'm really learning how to rest for the first time in my life other than just sleep. You know, I've always been a good sleeper. I've always been an eight-hour a night sleeper, but I really didn't understand rest, like truly resting mind, body, and spirit, like really the art of doing nothing. Something that was I was stewing on yesterday is the lack of punctuation from like a liter literary perspective that I think I oftentimes have in my daily life where I, I la you know if you're if you're writing a book or a story or poem whatever you'll have sentence structure and then there's a period at the end or a question mark and a paragraph and then a section and then a chapter you know in our, our daily lives I feel like it's very easy for me to forget about all of those punctuation points and just kind of allow this day to spill into the next and spill on the next. And then it's like yeah. your whole life kind of <laughs> snapped through. And it's just like the, taking those moments of intermittent pause, I think are, I find to be incredibly valuable and easily forgotten. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
You know, so is that is that something that you're integrating into your world? Yes, very much so. And I'm realizing that rest is not a waste of time. It's actually an investment in time. Totally. When I'm taking these periods to really rest. And it's not that I, I mean, sometimes I'll read. Sometimes I'll watch something really inspiring or uplifting. And sometimes I'll just sit back in my backyard and watch the birds. Or sometimes I'll meditate. It just depends on what it is. Or I'll just have space in my day. I'll have that white space in my calendar. And... What I'm finding is the hour that I work after a rest period is like equal to three hours of work unrested. Certainly. Because I'm just so much more present. My nervous system's calmer. I have more energy, all of that. And it's, it's making me more discerning about what really is aligned and what isn't. And things I used to say yes to, because like I said, I didn't want to disappoint. I didn't want to become irrelevant. I didn't want to fall behind, all those things. So it was based on a lot of fear. Where does that come from? Well, I mean, I think like many people, it comes from old patterns of developing. So, you know, as kids, we all develop these things that I call compensatory strategies that are different than defense mechanisms. They're things that we take on or behaviors or strategies that we take on when we feel less than, unsafe, not validated, not loved, uncertain. So for me... I was teased a lot. I didn't fit in. I was a late bloomer. Boys didn't like me. I just felt really separate from everything and everyone. And so my compensatory strategy was just to become an overachiever. And I thought, well, if no one likes me and if I'm not popular and if I'm just kind of the nerd, then I'm going to be the best nerd I can be. I'm going to get the best grades. And so the doing was a distraction from loneliness, from feelings of rejection, from sadness, from thinking I'm not enough. You know, busyness is, it can be an addiction. It's a way that we cope. And so I always think when I see myself really busy, I ask, am I inspired? Am I really lit up by everything I'm doing? Am I busy because I'm alive and creative? Or am I busy because I'm just distracting myself? from Maybe some other stuff that I don't want to feel or I don't want to look at. And so for me, this time in my life where I'm not trying to achieve, like I've been... (laughs) I've been writing a book for like four years. I don't know if I'll ever finish it. I don't. We kind of turned it into a program. I don't know if I'll ever finish it. We'll see. The old me would have blocked out time, had a proposal, shopped it around, had a deadline by now. Like that would have been the old strategy. But now I'm just kind of like, you know, it doesn't really matter. Like that's not the thing that's going to make me happy. And I think what I realized, I mean, it happened probably two years ago when I finally started feeling content in my life. And I was like, contentment, that's what I've been looking for. You know, no one tattoos content on their arm or gets a necklace that says content, but that's really what we're seeking in so many ways. We just want to feel like like enough is enough and we're just happy and pleased with where we are. And so since I've been feeling that contentment, I don't find myself looking for something to make me feel better about myself or looking for something to make me feel alive or joyful or any of those things. I mean, I've always known and I've always taught. And for the most part, I've lived into it's not out there, it's in here. But I think until we start, you know, growth is really a process. First, that awareness piece, really learning what our issues are, what our limiting beliefs are. And then there's the processing it piece, going back and maybe processing our trauma, doing our shadow work, all that kind of stuff. Then there's the integration, like having old things come back and choose a different response to it. And then there's putting new practices in place. 
And that's where I feel like I am now, is just putting new practices in place that are moving me toward the direction I want to go versus still reacting to old things or still relying on those old compensatory strategies. That's like the very similar protocol with getting parasites out of you. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. First, you got to weed them out. Uh-huh. Then you got to reintegrate. First, you got to know about you, them. Then you got to reintegrate. First, you got to know about them. Yeah. Yeah. First, so, so address, accept. And then maybe acceptance could be, you know, littered throughout the whole yeah. process. And then you weed out the bad bugs. Mm-hmm. You know, which bad's a relative term. Yep. And then you reintegrate the good bugs, another relative term. Interesting. <laughs> wow. Well, who knew personal growth was like parasites? There you everything go. Everything is like everything. Great you metaphor. That. Yeah, that's true. That's true. How does a person even get to get to the beginning stages of recognizing that there are perhaps like some parasitic compensatory mm. patterns that exist. Usually it's because they have an expectation hangover. That was the title of my last book. Yeah. An expectation hangover, things don't go according to plan. Things go according to plan, but you don't feel like you thought you would. You finally get into that relationship, but you still don't feel confident or enough or whatever. Or life just throws you an unexpected curveball. And it's usually one of those things that has people go, whoa, wait a second. I need to look at some stuff. Or the common denominator in all this is me. I'm not where I want to be in my life. That's where I find most people start to go, there's something up. It's kind of like with a parasite. I'm not feeling the same. It's, I'm not having the same experience here. There's something that's not quite right. And then they start to look for the information about it. And most people that come to my work is they've had an expectation hangover and they're looking for a way through it. You know, they're looking for a deeper understanding because I think when you have similar expectation hangovers over and over and over again, you keep getting laid off. You keep having health issues. You keep having trouble with your finances. You keep going from job to job that you don't like. Like I said, you start to realize the common denominator is you. Mm. It's like, oh, wait, what am I doing? And that's how I woke up to personal development. You know, in my 20s, everything in my life kind of crashed and burned. And I, <laughs> I had the awareness of I can be the victim and just go, life sucks and this sucks and this sucks and it's that fault and that fault. Or I could go, well, Christine, like you're the thread in all of these situations. So maybe time to look at you. I wonder with those compensatory patterns, mm. do they ever go away? Like the various different neuroses that we may have you know, manifested maybe from our parents or our parents' parents or, mm-hmm. or just ourselves or childhood, you know, whatever it may have been. Are those something that they're imprinted into the genetics of, of your mind? which doesn't really make sense, but, but <laughs> nonetheless, uh, metaphorically, and something that eventually you just are resourced enough to be able to navigate and be like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, there's that not enoughness. It's mm-hmm. in my pocket. I got it, as opposed mm-hmm. to it enveloping my whole life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or is it something that is, uh, there is an attainable point of being able to actually, no, that's gone. I'm, yeah. I'm enough. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I would say yes and no. I think there are always people that can get to that point where it's just completely gone. And I think after working with as many humans as I have, part of the human experience is having a little bit of that limiting belief, I'm not enough. In some ways, I think that inspires our our quest and our spiritual development because- like steroids. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like exactly. the fire. It's like, it, it is. It's it like, is. okay, there's, there's embers there. Yeah, because that's why we're here, yeah, to, to really learn who we truly are. Is that why we're here? That's all, that's all why we're here. It's just to figure out that is we're love. Is that a fact? That's a fact. I talked to God <laughs> before I came over. Yeah. I knew you were going to ask me something like, what's the meaning of life? And I, of I wanted to have my answer What ready. else would I ask? So, <laughs> yeah, that's it. We're just here to evolve our soul. Uh, we're not here to like, that's, and it's just, 
we all, including myself, not as much anymore, but we put so much pressure on the things we think are our purpose, like my career or changing the world or da da da. And that's all fine and good. And those are great expressions and things we get to enjoy in the human dimension. But truly, we are here to evolve our consciousness, Mm -hmm. to move more out of fear and into love, to move more out of judgment and into love, to move more out of separation and into unity. That's really why we're here. It's evolution. And so when people come to me and ask me, well, I have to figure out my purpose and I don't like my job and I've got to figure out why I'm here on the planet and my life has no meaning. Like, well, that's because you're looking out. If you want your life to have meaning, look in and evolve your consciousness and look at where you get programmed. Look at where fear runs the show. Look at your emotional addictions. Look at the stories you tell yourself. Look at how separated you feel. Look at your spiritual connection. That's where you'll find your purpose. Mm. With attracting... The ideal mate. Mm, mm-hmm. Does the ideal mate exist? Is I think that, the ideal mate for each of us does. Is there a static state ideal mate or is that more of a dynamic thing that ideal for mm-hmm. this era of my life, for epoch of my life? Or is it, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think it's the latter. We have ideal mates that serve us at different times. You know, I can think back on my life and men that I've been with. I So <laughs> I've been engaged three times. First one dumped me six months before the wedding. Second, <laughs> no, no, actually, we have to thank him because it was that that was my massive expectation hangover after like quitting my job and having all these other things happen to me, or I won't say happen to me, happen, that was the heartbreak and the, the shame and the expectation hangover that really pulled me into this work and motivated my first book, inspired my first book. So yeah. I really have him to thank for, it's the for that. It was the long, yeah. It's the fire. Yeah. So second engagement, got married, divorced uh, four years later, something like that. And then third proposal is Steph, and he's my ideal mate for life. Like, I know he's my my person. But it took a lot of ideal mates that weren't the forever kind to get to Steph. And relationships, romantic relationships, other than having children, I don't know anything, any kind of relationship that grows us more than romantic relationships our relationships with our parents and our relationships with our children. Those are the ones. And often our romantic relationships mirror our relationship with our parents. And so for a while, our romantic relationships are kind of working out issues with mom and dad. We tend to date mom or dad and flip between the two of them. And it doesn't matter if you're heterosexual or what. It's not like I'm a woman, so I'm going to date people like my dad. I dated men like my mom too, showed my issues with her. So those ideal mates are ideal for a time because they're perfect. They push this button and they show you this and they're a mirror for this and they're huge growth opportunities and they, they evolve us. You know, the purpose of a relationship is to not get married, buy a house and have 2.5 kids. The purpose of a relationship is, guess what? To evolve, <laughs> to yeah. grow, to open our hearts more, to learn more about ourselves. So I look back on all my relationships all the men that I was engaged to or married to, <laughs> I sound like um, Elizabeth Taylor, um, were amazing. They were amazing men. They really were. But there was a couple guys I dated in between that don't fall into the amazing category at all. And I can often look back and regret or have shame, but truly they, they all were teachers. They all were ideal for me at that time because they showed me where I was. Anybody that we attract or that we're attracted to is showing us where we are. And so when we attract someone that maybe hurts us or ghosts us or jacks us or is toxic. It one shows us where our level of self-worth is. It shows us where we are with some of the things that we're working through. It shows us how available 
we truly are shows us how open our heart is and it shows us where our values are. And so that's why relationships are so juicy is because they're learning opportunities. And I think we often, especially women, have so much attachment to making it something, to knowing what this relationship is. Is this the one? There isn't a one for any of us. There's multiple people usually. Hopefully. Yeah. I mean, some people, you know, have married their first love and that's amazing. That's an incredible experience. Most people have many ones before they settle with, not settle like bad, but settle down with or choose to, I don't like that, to choose to grow with one specific person. I mean, that's what Steph and I have chosen. We've chosen, hey, we're choosing each other for the long term. And I mean, I don't think it will change, but we're never going to stay together just for the sake of staying together either. Yeah. I wonder if, so if we were going to build a house, Mm -hmm. we would find, you know, an architect or an engineer and they would have these plans and step-by-step guide and they'd they'd talk to the permitting office and then we'd eventually put a foundation in and then we'd get like a cement truck in and all that and then build the frame. I wonder if you were building the house of a relationship, a healthy relationship, finding that life partner, the one that's like really, really fits. I wonder where would one start to address one's self in Mm -hmm. order to create the foundation to open up space for that relationship? Well, I think there's a couple places you can start. If you've had several relationships that maybe didn't work out the way you want, start by looking at what didn't work. What were the things that attracted you to the person that maybe weren't unhealthy? What were the patterns there that you got into? What's kind of the archetype of the person that you attract and who do you become when you're in the relationship? So I think a good place to start is is research, looking at where I've been in the past. But then to me, really the foundation is what is my relationship with myself like? Is that all stem from childhood stuff? I hate to say it, but yes. I mean, 17 years of coaching people, I mean, I've worked with thousands of people, either one-on-one or in retreats or on the podcast, and stuff always comes back to childhood. Mm. It just does. Mm. It just does. I mean, and not just with our parents, but that's a huge part. School, peers, uh, anything that happened, usually before 18, cements in and isn't who we are, but it programs us. And so we start to see through the lens of whatever happened. And until we realize that there's what happened and then there's what we made it mean, we think that we are our past. And so much of what we do is completely unconscious. So about, you probably know this, but 93 to 95% of our actions, our thoughts, our reactions and behaviors are unconsciously driven. Sure, just habits repeated just, over just and over. Hab- yeah, reactions, Automatons. thoughts. Exactly. Even someone walks in a room, your judgment of them or your perception of them is mostly based on unconscious. Like they look like someone that hurt you in high school or they walk like your dad or whatever. Somebody gives you a high five, you think they're about to slap you in the right, face. Exactly. It's like, no, 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 it's good job, yeah, exactly. good job. <laughs> exactly, you don't have to duck, <laughs> it's great. okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah so it's, like, it's, all, it's all in there. And to me, that's exciting because I like to think of myself as a human detective. That's really what one of my jobs I think is, is helping people understand themselves, like put the puzzle pieces of their life together, not to get stuck in therapizing or analysis, but when we start to connect dots and it's like, oh, 
now I realize that I keep attracting emotionally unavailable man because I never felt that intimacy with my dad. Okay, that makes sense. So that feels like home. Yeah. We're always like like a dog always going going Mm -hmm. home. Yep. And we're always trying to get what we didn't get from our parents, from people like them. So if I had a super critical mother and all I wanted from the feminine was for her to appreciate me, and if I was a heterosexual guy, I'd probably date critical women or women who said like what I was doing wasn't enough because I'm looking for what I didn't get from mom for people like mom. You know, it's counterintuitive. You'd think that if I had a critical mom, I'm not going to go after critical women, but it's so unconscious. And often you don't realize the person's critical until you get in there because there's this thing that I call issue-based relationships. So issue-based relationships are, they're really hot. The chemistry's off the charts. The other person is a drug. The sex is great. But that's really the only time you feel connected. A lot of buttons are pushed. There's arguments. You don't really have certainty. It's a, the kind of relationship that takes up a lot of energetic space and produces a lot of anxiety, triggers a lot of attachment style stuff. And the reason why the chemistry is so hot is because in issue-based relationships, it's when your soul is really wanting to learn and to grow. So you will draw in someone that triggers your deepest issues. And the attraction has to be there, otherwise you'd run. <laughs> otherwise you'd be like red flags all over. But because the attraction's so hot, you can't really see the red flags. And then once you're in it, it's like boom, 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 boom. All the inner child stuff starts to get triggered. And that's when usually in issue-based relationships, I tell people like, okay, the relationship served its purpose. You're triggered. You're seeing your issues. You're ready to work because you, you're so hurt and you're so confused. Now it's not about the relationship. It's about you and you need to kind of end the relationship and work on you. And those kind of relationships I think are necessary for everybody at some point because they're so intense, but they're great because it means from my perspective that your soul really wants to work something out. Your unconscious, your soul, your higher self, whatever language you want to put on it, some part of you really wants to work something out. So it's brought in this intense relationship so that you can learn. Where people get stuck is they keep trying to make the relationship work. They keep trying to figure out the other person and they stay in this intensity, which then become a distraction from actually doing the work. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. I wonder with finding a compatible partner, if compatibility, you need to have a certain level of trigger in order to have those embers burning to keep the engine running or could you be in like a perfect equilibrium relationship that's just like wow we just we're just mm-hmm. it's it's just so easy mm-hmm. or is there some value in having those those triggers come up to kind of produce energy in the relationship yeah yes and so there's value if it moves a relationship forward there's value if you learn from them and you don't have the same things coming up over and over and over again And I see that in my relationship with Steph. So when we first got together, we were both like, oh my God, it's so easy. And so personal development, arrogant. We're like, oh, we've done so much work. And then three months in, we were fighting like siblings, screaming at each other. Like that's usually when you're setting up for a hurricane. Yeah. When you're like, I am killing it. I know. Okay. I know. I know. know. (laughs) Call me in a month. Let me know how you're doing then. Yeah. Yeah. So we were, yeah, the stuff came up. and But what was different is we had the tools to navigate it and we had done enough work that we knew what was our stuff. So we knew in the triggers, and this is how it's different from issue-based relationship. So the kind of relationship Steph and I are in are called, is called a side-by-side partnership. 
two people who've done their work who aren't looking at each other to make them safe or whole or complete or anything, but are actually standing side by side looking in the same direction in terms of vision and values and how we want to live our life. Doesn't mean stuff doesn't come up, but when it does, I'm not pointing at him and he's not pointing at me and we're not stuck in our issues. It's like we'll have an argument or something and then I'll look at my stuff. He'll look at his stuff. We're able to communicate like where the personal stuff is. We're able to take responsibility and say, okay, how are we going to grow from this? What are we going to learn from this? And so we're not stuck in a loop. And that's the difference. And yeah, I do think that the, the tension and the triggers and the challenges are things that grow. And, you know, our challenges now aren't so much about past stuff. They aren't so much about inner child stuff. They're about growing a vision, growing business, possibly growing a family, all those kinds of stuff and expanding. And how are we meeting that? You know, how are we meeting extra levels of responsibility or opportunity or vision in our life? So it's a different kind of challenge. Yeah. So back to the house analogy. Yeah. Do listeners have the tools to create a foundation via examining their childhood stuff? Mm-hmm. Yet, from what we've said. Oh no! I think it takes it takes a while to kind of unpack. And by that. we, I mean you. <laughs> <laughs> keep, keep me out of this. Well, yeah. <laughs> You'll I have wish, a very wonky house. If yeah, you I know. Me. I know. <laughs> I wish that just like I could build a house in a day, I could I could solve this in an hour long podcast. But yeah. here's here's what I'll say. And we teach a whole inner child workshop about this because I noticed the tremendous need for people to really understand how to do inner child work. And P.S., you don't have to remember your childhood to do it. You don't, because most people don't have memories. And the other thing is you don't have to relive your trauma to do inner child work, because that's a big resistance too with people is that they don't want to do, they don't want to think that because it's like, that's over, that was swept under the rug, especially if there's a lot of abuse or trauma or chaos, no one wants to go back there. But some part of your psyche, your inner child is still stuck back there. So inner child work is about bringing her, him into the safety of the present and coming into the future with you. So I think a good place to start, I can't build the whole house, but I'll give people a starting place. A good place to start is to start to form a connection with that little one. And people may think this is cheesy or this is some just life coach quack funny thing. And actually inner child work is a psychological reality. It's been around for many years in the psychological traditions and no good psychotherapist or anyone that's working with trauma avoids the inner child because it is connected to our deepest sensitivity. It's very connected to our hearts, connected to our intuition, our creativity, our joy, all of it. And when that inner child feels abandoned, feels neglected, feels alone, it's going to try to get our attention unconsciously through anxiety, through sabotage, through overwhelm, through all kinds of ways, through health conditions, I mean, the, the, the body is a language of the inner child in so many ways. And so that's why it's so valuable to start to form a connection with it. So that's the first step is just to start to form a connection with the inner child. And the easiest way I know how to do it, just get a picture. Just get a picture of yourself, usually before the age of like five, eight at the oldest. And if you don't have one, draw one. But most of us can get a picture and just look at it every day, like really connect, look into your own eyes and just start to form that connection. And usually if you sit with it for a little while, it'll bring up some feeling, it'll bring up emotion. And then you can start to talk and be like, hey, little Aaron, like, how you doing in there? I'm here, I'm here to listen. 
that's, that's the first step is just forming that connection because when that part of our psyche, when that part of us, when the inner child feels like we're there and we're paying attention, it doesn't need to get as activated as much. And the reason why most people have trouble in relationships or dating or anything is because that little one is activated. And, you know, I may be 35 years old, but I'm making decisions and having reactions as an eight-year-old, or I'm picking the people I want to date as a 14-year-old. And that's where it gets really tricky because it's like, why in the world was I with that person? Oh, I know, because my 14-year-old who never could get the popular guy and always felt rejected, like had a thing for the charismatic popular dude, and she picked him, not my grown-up self. How would you begin the process of gaining a relationship with that little boy or girl? Would you ask them questions? Yeah, so the first step is just not to ask anything of them. The first step is just to start to feel the connection, which is why a picture is so good. You just sit, you look, and you feel, and you just connect. And a really good time to do it is when you're being critical of yourself or when when your inner critic is really firing up. Just sit and look at that picture. And when you see yourself and connect to yourself as a child, you'd never talk to a child that way. You'd never say to a child, oh, you piece of shit. That was a really stupid thing you did or said or whatever the inner critic likes to say. And so when you can sit and really just look at that little one and break that pattern of criticizing yourself and being so ruthless with yourself and move into compassion, that's how the connection starts to form. And then once you actually start to feel the connection and people are saying, well, how will I know if I feel the connection? You'll feel it. You'll start to feel your heart open. You'll start to feel yourself softening. You'll start to feel a nurturing come forward. We all have an inner mother and inner father archetype. Whether we have children or not, we all have access to those archetypes. We're always parenting ourselves. Always, but we're usually doing a shitty job. We're usually really awful parents. We're usually the kind of parents we had to ourselves instead of, and we want them to be different. And then we want our romantic partner to be the better parent to us than we had. And it's like, no, we've got to be that better parent to ourselves. So once you start to have that connection and that compassion, then you can start a dialogue. And the best way to have a dialogue with an inner child is to do dominant, non-dominant handwriting. So I'm right-handed. So when I'm writing to little Christine with my right hand, I'll write, I'll have the picture there and I'll say, hey, little Christine, how are you doing? I'm just checking in with you. I'm here. Is there anything you want to tell me? Or if I'm, if I'm working with something specific, I'll ask her about that specific thing. I'll switch hands and I'll reply with my left hand. Sometimes I'll write, sometimes it'll be a picture or a symbol or something like that. And that dominant, non-dominant handwriting is a really good way to access your inner child. Mm. What has surprised you about that practice? How much she knows. So my first deep inner child meditation, and I do a lot of guided visualizations and meditations with people in the workshop to take them back there because hypnosis is a powerful way to work with the inner child. But in my first guided hypnosis down to meet, like reconnect with my inner child. She was um, standing behind a tree with her arms crossed over and she wouldn't look at me at all. And I kept trying to like move around and see her face and I could, she would not look at me. And it took like going back. She didn't trust because I had abandoned her so many times. And I kept going back and back and back in the meditation. And finally, she looked at me and she was like, "Hmm, okay, I'll sit and listen for a second. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of resistance because 
how my inner child felt really hurt and abandoned by me is being ruthlessly critical with myself, so mean to myself, so hard on myself, no compassion for myself, which is one of my core wounds, rejection. She felt very rejected and abandoned by me. And so it took some time to form that connection around because I wasn't a good parent to her. I wasn't a good parent to myself. I parented myself by being hard on myself. That's how, how I parented. How is that a Because I, I think everything that we do, I feel like a valuable point to be at would be to be at complete gratitude for every square micro cent nanometer of your past, future, sure. present, you know, all the things. And if you're not in accordance with that, there is some point where it's like, oh, that just that point, that just sucked. You know, it's like, yes, it did suck, but there was some survival pattern there. Mm-hmm. There was it was something that saved your life. Mm-hmm. And if it didn't save your life, you probably wouldn't be here right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I wonder with with that, was that a, a tool for you, that kind of like self-destructiveness? Or is that and I could just that could be just bullshit what I just yeah, said. No, as well. no, it's not bullshit at all. Um yes, it was. It kind of comes back to that overachiever piece. So if I could be harder on myself than anyone else was. That was a protective thing. And it's what mm. I use to motivate myself. Right. You'll tear yourself down first. Yeah, for sure. I'll tear myself down harder. For, sh- you for can't sure. Hurt, you can't for hurt sure. me because I hurt myself the most. For sure. And it's completely how I'm like, okay, I want something done. Well, I'm just going to tell myself I'm a loser and that will make me do it. You know, that I didn't know how to inspire myself. I had no idea. And that's the really key thing when people are disconnected from their inner child because the inner child is magical. So when people don't know how to inspire themselves, like pull themselves forward, so they don't have to push, push, push with harsh language and being, you know, massive expectations of themselves and being hard on themselves. They only know how to motivate. They only know how to push. It's because there's no connection with the inner child. When you actually connect with the inner child and that magical part and that part of you that just is so intuitive and so creative, you actually master inspiration. And you don't need that really awful critic to be like, you need to do this and you need to do this and whatever it says. So yes, it was survival, but it was so compensatory too. You know, it was something that was coming from feeling like I wasn't enough. So when I started to reconnect with my inner child and found the voice of the inner parent inside of me and started treating myself a lot nicer, then one, a lot of things changed in my life. I had way less anxiety. I was able to make clear decisions and I started to feel more inspired and less like I needed to be motivated. Where do you think you're at with your work? Because you said mm. we've done our work past tense. With my personal development work? Mm-hmm. My own work? Yeah, like um, where are you at with relationship with yeah, all the things? So I don't have a lot of childhood stuff anymore. Oh, great. I really feel complete in so many ways. Now, who knows? We could have a kid and you know, parenting children tends to bring up childhood stuff as they go through different ages and phases. Sure. So I'm not naive to think that that might not happen. But I, I don't spend a lot of time processing the past. My work right now is more of the Joe Dispenza flavor, is more of the, because, you know, I process so much and there's, there's not a lot that triggers me, but I still have certain emotional addictions. I st- still have thought patterns because our brain gets so programmed and so wired. What are they? Um, Unless they're overly personal, it's only totally fine. No, no, no. It's it's so I definitely lean towards anxiety. You know, not like a lot of people really suffer with, but I, I guess anxiety is the wrong word. I worry, like I I go from toothache to I have a brain tumor and I'm dying in point zero zero one seconds. 
I can go to worst case scenario like that. If Steph is, I can't get a hold of him or he's like an hour late, he's in a five car pileup and I see it happening. And that's, that's, I was called a worry ward as a kid. It's been something that's been with me since I was little. I mean, when my parents used to go on date night, they would have to call from the restaurant and say to the babysitter, like, tell Christine we're still alive, like every hour, because I would worry so much about them dying. So this has been with me for a long time. And so it's become such a, a groove in my brain and such a pattern and such a habit that I'll go into it without even realizing I'm doing it. And so that's one of the things I'm really working on is not going into that energy. Because as Dispenza says, you know, energy follows thought. And I can go into that worry thought, which will produce anxiety, but it's really the worry that's the root quickly without even realizing I'm doing it because it's so habitual. So that's really my work right now is looking at the habits that I have and those places that I go that are just so habitual and pulling myself out and moving myself into a different frequency, a different emotion, and trying to break a lot of those emotional addictions or programs or whatever we want to call them. Yeah, just like witnessing yourself. Like that's that's a big deal. Yeah. To step aside for a moment and look down at little Christine or little Aaron. Yeah, and actually like get into a different emotion, you know. So then it would be having the tools and the resources in order to navigate it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's hard to do unless you've dealt with your trauma. And you've kind of dealt with your past because when we're constantly dealing with old triggers and there's there's consistently a little one inside that feels unsafe or wounded or neglected or abandoned or rejected or any of those things, it's hard just to bypass that and go, I'm going to go into a state of gratitude or I'm going to go into a state of abundance. Because again, that inner child is like, but what about me? Like, <laughs> I'm I'm angry down here. I feel ashamed down here. And like, you need to deal with that. And I know for me, especially any kind of work where I'm shifting into a different vibration or really focusing or visioning or any of like the dispensa stuff, like I said, where it's really about moving into a different energetic frequency, a different emotion, that has been so much easier because when I sit and meditate or I'm working on changing a state, I'm not fighting demons. You know, it's like I've, I've done that already. So it's easier to shift into a different frequency. I'm really glad for my years of anger work and my years of journaling and my years of hitting a pillow and screaming and my years of crying. And the important thing about that is as I did all those things, anytime I did an emotional release, I made sure I did forgiveness as well, forgiving the judgments that were put into place when those things happened, forgiving the situations, like ending any emotional release with the frequency of forgiveness so that I can actually process it through. Because a lot of people, when they process emotion, the emotion comes out, it's cathartic, but that's it. There's no bow. There's no completion. We'll take a quick moment and discuss the value of adding electrolytes to our water. This is something that I have been doing for years, something I mentioned in the Line Method book. Um, When you're drinking water, oftentimes, especially if you're drinking filtered water, you will be pulling out the vital minerals that actually allow that water to permeate your cells. So teamed up with our friends over at Element. It's spelled L-M-N-T because they've changed my experience with drinking water. Uh, I've been using Element for the last several months and it really has made my time drinking water something I look forward to. Oftentimes just drinking bland water is not something that I really desire, uh, but their flavors, my favorite is the chocolate salt, makes it something that I look forward to and also makes me feel better for it. 
So all the flavors are delicious. They have a fantastic blend of potassium, magnesium, and sodium. And uh, you guys can get yourselves a free sampler box by going to drinklmnt.com slash align. That's drink, D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T dot com slash align, and you'll get a full sampler packet of all of their flavors. All you got to do is drop a few bucks for shipping, and they will send it out. So go to drinkelement.com slash align, get yourself a free sampler pack. Pow. All right, so now that we've sorted out our hydration, the next obvious thing to think about would be how to improve our gut health teamed up with our friends over at BioOptimizers to help you guys do exactly that with the Leaky Gut Guardian. Your gut health is responsible for not just digestion, but is also foundational to healthy functioning immune system, boosting your energy levels without being dependent on stimulants. Moo, 95% of the dopamine is created in your gut bacteria. You have a beautiful tropical rainforest of bugs, a whole vibrant community living inside of you, and they need to be tended to. Leaky Gut Guardian does exactly that with a perfect complex of ingredients to weed out the bad bugs and reintegrate or seed the good bugs. What you will notice through using Leaky Gut Guardian is a boost in mood, a boost in your digestive ability. Sometimes you eat food, you might feel bloated or gassy or heartburn or anything of that sort. Also, just a general sensation of feeling heavy or a malaise, brain fog, any of that will all be tied back to your gut health. So I am a big fan of Leaky Gut Guardian to heal the gut, heal the lining of the gut. And you can get yourself 10% off by going to leakygutguardian.com slash align. That's L-E-A-K-Y-G-U-T-G-U-A-R-D-I-A-N.com slash align for 10% off. And if you do not notice a difference with this product, an improvement in your health that is worth purchasing the product with the discount, then they will send you your money back Absolutely, no questions asked, 100% guarantee. So you got nothing to lose. Check it out, leakygutguardian.com slash online. Improve your gut health, improve your mental, emotional health, improve your immune health, because all those systems are tied together. Okay, back to the podcast. Who should be single? Well, a few people. So (laughs) should I list them by name now? Um, (laughs) It was funny. We just did a clubhouse before this on love and relationships. And there were two women I told directly, I'm like, you need to be single right now. I needed to be single for a good five or six years. Damn. Honestly. I was, I was. I mean, I think I was single for like a decade actually. So yeah, well, I'm with it. Technically I was single for nine years, but I only needed five or six. The rest I was waiting for Steph to like get his stuff together. So not consciously, I didn't know who he existed at the time, but when we tracked where I was and where he was in life, there was a period of time I was really ready, but he wasn't. So it was just kind of like waiting. But back to your question. So people in issue-based relationships, stop, get out. You're focusing too much on the relationship and the intensity of the relationship is a distraction from you doing your work. So get out of it, break up, do your own work. And hey, maybe you'll get back together at some point in the future, but two people that are so triggered in an issue-based relationship, you can't work on the relationship. You've got to work on your own stuff. So that's the first category. Second, I think when we're doing deep processing of trauma or a lot of deep inner child work, when we're ready to be like, okay, I'm lifting up the rug. 
I'm opening up Pandora's box. I'm going in. I'm dealing with a lot of this stuff. That's a really good time to be single too. Because when we're consciously choosing to go back and do with our family of origin stuff, who we're going to attract during that time are just going to be reflections of that stuff. And so from my point of view, it's better to be single and see who you attract when you're on the other side of that. I also think people that have just gotten out of a relationship should be single for a while because it's tempting to just get into another one because you're lonely or you have a timeline you're worried about or... You got to knock out the old nail with a new one. Right, exactly, you exactly, damn nail stuck. exactly, exactly. <laughs> What's that saying? The best way to get over someone is get under someone else or something like that? That, I, was, I, that was what I was thinking. I yeah. was trying to stay. Yeah. You know, <laughs> keep it, keep it, keep it. Oh, PG. sorry, I think I've sworn like three times. This God dang, uh, I was going to swear. I didn't like, I, don't, I learned from a young age to say God damn is like a bad thing. Oh, yeah, I almost thing. said it. Yeah, it's naughty. And then like oh, okay. using Lord's name in vain. Right. It's interesting, old belief systems like that, which I still, I, I get it. And I kind of am in somewhat alignment with, but nonetheless, it's all still just a story. Yeah. But that was just a moment of me reproducing a childhood thing of like, mm-hmm. oh, that's bad. Mm-hmm. And I don't even necessarily know it's good, bad, whatever. Yeah. Isn't it funny how quickly it comes up? It right. comes up so fast. Yeah, yeah. Do you have religious beliefs? All I don't know this? if I call them religious belief. I call them spiritual beliefs. I believe in, I call it God. Some people call it spirit, universe, source divine. Those words are fine with me. I don't really care about the words, but I, I for sure believe and have had experiences with a higher power that's so loving and so all-knowing and so comforting. And I've also had experiences both my, of my own and facilitating things and witnessing other people that could not be explained other than a divine moment. So yes, what is God to you? How would you define God? I mean, perhaps you just did. And if, if yeah. that was, where, where, where is God? Well, I mean, my, my first spiritual teacher, who is my first life coach, but she was like way more than that, said God is truth and love. And that's so simple and to me so true. Like truth and love. It's what's real and it's love. You can't have real truth. You don't want to have truth without love. You don't want to give someone truth with judgment or hate or shame or any other thing. And you can't really have love without truth. And that just simplifies it so much for me. It's okay. God is truth and love. And if we want to expand it, it's this, it's just this all-knowing, all-being consciousness that is love and that is who we are. And Again, back to why are we here? I think the human experience is about reconnecting with that, realizing the truth of who we are, realizing that we, we are divine. You know, we're spiritual beings having a human experience and getting out of the illusion of separation. You know, I grew up Catholic. That was the religious conditioning that was part of my experience. And I always felt so scared. It did not feel comforting to me, church. Sure. It felt... Like I was, if I did anything bad, you know, and I remember going to my first confession as part of my, my first communion and I, I didn't have anything I had lied about. I couldn't think of anything I lied about. And so the priest was like, you know, tell me something, tell me your sins or whatever they say. And I said, I, I, I don't know. I can't think of anything. He's like, we all sin. And so I lied. I made up, I made up a lie. I said like, I, I, something stupid. Like I told my mom I washed my hands before dinner and I didn't. I, I didn't, I just made it up. I didn't know what to do. 
And so then I walked out and I just felt like the worst person on the planet and all this guilt. And he told me to say, you know, 10 Our Fathers and five Hail Marys. And I think I doubled it because I knew I lied. And it just always was this confliction thing because something, you know, I mean, I remember as a little girl sitting in my closet and praying and connecting and talking to something. Like these memories didn't come back till later after I started to have my connection with my inner child. And that's kind of what happens when you start to have that connection, memories will come forward. And I have this memory of just sitting in my closet talking to God. I mean, I don't know who else I would have been talking to. It always felt very comforting and and divine and and right. Um, and that was so natural. And then, and this isn't a bash on the Catholic religion. I'm just talking about my personal experience. Yeah. And then I'd go to church and I'd feel judged and wrong and and confused and bored. And I I I. It, I think it confused me for a long time that I just really didn't know what God was. And like a lot of people, I just went into my own world and reinforced that illusion of separation. That like, I don't know if there is a God. It seems kind of like this weird thing. I'm just going to rely on me. Mm. I'm just going to rely on me. And, you know, not having that spiritual connection definitely fueled my worry. Because when you don't have that spiritual connection, that trust in the divine, whatever that means to you, it can produce a lot more worry because you feel like it's all up to you. You feel like there's no safety net. Yeah. I feel like this is this is getting even more and more tangential, but I feel as though the the creators of the rules, in this case, say like Catholicism or whatever, they are in fact the the conception vessels for the very thing mm-hmm. that they are casting out as being you know, bad or good. Like they're actually they they're actually what exactly what feeds energy into the bad. Yeah. Whereas if you can come from a place of compassion and, and love and like, oh, you you know, you jerked off mm-hmm. your bedroom. Mm-hmm. You had a you know, you got blood in your yeah. penis. Yeah. You started doing stuff with it. It's like, yeah. okay, cool. Like that's great. Yeah. Like that was that happened. That's that's great. Like that's how did okay. how did it feel? Yeah. You know, like it, it, or you come from a place of this is bad. You're going to get hair on the back of your knuckle, like yeah. all these different stories. And it's it's literally that person, the holy one, literally is, I think, the the they occupy the other side of the pendulum as well. They're, they're, they're the producer of the swing. Mm-hmm. You know, so mm-hmm. by you saying this is the bad thing, now all of a sudden it, it, it charges up that action. And then you start this whole... Yep. It's very fascinating. It, it is. It's, 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 <laughs> well, if you think about it, it's like our relationship with with God is like another parental figure, and we so we come into the world, and I believe that when we're born, we're very connected to Source. You know, I see it in children all the time. They see things, they know things, and old people, and yeah, they're just so connected, and. It's magical. And then stuff happens and the illusion of separation starts. And who do we project God on? Our parents. They become our source of unconditional love and safety and approval and all these things. And our parents are human. They're not God. They are not unconditional love. They are not all-knowing. They, they are not pure truth and love. They're still humans with karma and soul evolution and their own crap to deal with. And so we project God on them and then get disappointed and then start like thinking that 
God doesn't love us, but it's really our parent that we felt didn't love us. And then we start looking for what we didn't get from parents and what we've forgotten from God in romantic partnerships. And then we're just kind of in the cycle. So another part of building our house, back to that, is a spiritual connection, whatever that means to you. Something that connects you to unconditional love. Something that connects you to safety, to trust, to faith, to knowing you're enough. Something. Because when you have that, you're not looking for it in others. And anytime we're looking for something we need in someone else, that's going to be more of a learning opportunity than it really is like a soul-evolving, healthy, truth and love-based relationship. I was talking with, I love all of that. I I was talking with a friend yesterday and she was talking about public speaking stuff. And she said one of her coaches, uh, their recommendation was to not make the thing because she gets really anxious and nervous. And, you know, and she's like, stop making it about you. You know, so when you're up there, it's not about how you look. It's not about how smart you sound. It's not about that. It's like, it's, it, instead of it making all, of the eyes pointing at you, make it so that you are a conduit to transmit this message within the whole. Mm-hmm. And if you can come to that point, then all of a sudden there's not all this this energy projected at this like you know mm-hmm. who I think I am and that like ego layer, which ego is you know fine and good and all that. But it's not all about me anymore. And so I think probably the happiest people I would imagine are people that uh, you know they wish well upon others and you know they mm. come into the room and I'm like man you look beautiful mm. you know and it's like man like this is this place is great and it's like it's not all I walk into the room and I'm like how do I look mm-hmm. it's, mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's it's getting to that point of starting to to I don't know dissolve that layer of, I don't know what the best language is exactly I didn't sleep quite enough last night well the full moon has been weird <laughs> but I want to I want to actually I'm glad you brought this up because I really want to speak to the empaths listening and the, the highly sensitive crew that yeah. may be listening to your podcast so you know I've done public speaking since 2006 and um, as I started to really um, learn and grow and heal and take off a lot of my armor, my sensitivities heightened. I could feel more of not just my stuff, but everyone's stuff. So a lot of times with people, what's producing anxiety, yes, sometimes it's self-perception and what do people think of me? And that's when looking out and really being of service and really focusing on the other or just the experience is helpful. And I think there are a lot of people that are such empaths and empaths, Empathic gifts can also, well, not the gift part, but empathic abilities can also be compensatory. Because a lot of times if we grow up in a house where there's violence or chaos or uncertainty, we have to learn to read emotions and we have to learn to feel feelings. It's like, dad walks in, let me feel him. Is he sure. tense? Oh shit, there's going to be- How do you put the keys yeah, down on the exactly. table? Yeah, exactly. So bangish? Uh-oh. Or oh just, yeah, or just you can feel it. He walks yeah. in and you just feel it in your body. He's stomping on the ground. How's, yep. his, how's he breathing? Oh, Interesting. Yeah. How, did, how did he grab the door? Or he walked in and now there's knots in my stomach. Mm-hmm. Or he walked in and I can feel anxiety. And so people that have social anxiety, things like that, a lot of what's happening is they're walking in and it's not just insecurity. And this is where I think a lot of people just beat themselves up because they're like, I'm just insecure and I just have anxiety. I'm like, well, probably you're an empath. Probably you just feel everybody and your nervous system gets a little overloaded. I know that happens to me so much. And for me with speaking or getting 
in a crowd or anything like that, what I have to do is I have to really ground my energy, like really, 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 really ground it. Because I, I walk on stage or even beforehand, like the day of, I start feeling the energy of everybody in there. And it's just like an overwhelm for the nervous system. So for people that are highly sensitive or can relate to being that empath, we have to learn the balance between like making it a gift and a liability. And it's a liability when we're not grounding ourselves, when we're not reminding ourselves that we are safe. And it's a gift when we can walk in a room and choose when to feel something and, and actually discern, wait, is this mine or not? You know, that's, that happens to me often. I'll be in a, at a dinner in a social situation or even talking to somebody on a podcast and something will be said or something will happen and I'll start feeling anxiety or my heart will start racing or something will happen. And the first question I ask is, is this mine? And most often it's not. And once I know it's not, I'm just like, I just send love and I just ask to be cleared from it and remind myself I'm safe and it's not mine to feel. I've had multiple experiences where I was, it was like a, felt like 75% chance that I was going to just literally black out during mm. handful of podcasts, public speaking stuff. Oh my God, me too. It's the worst. Me too, I was on the- I'm like, this is going to be so embarrassing. No, no. <laughs> I, I was on the biggest podcast of my life and the whole time was managing- and not passing out. And it was like, oh, yeah. it was such an amazing opportunity that I still judge myself for botching or whatever that word is. Uh. Um, because I was so, because it was live and I could feel the millions of people also watching. And what was the podcast? It was Rogan. Oh, okay. And, and he's, when did he's you do great. Rogan's? Oh, when was it? 2016, maybe? Right. Yeah. And it's, it, it was such an amazing opportunity. I have so much respect for him. And he he was nothing he did. I just yeah, got great. totally in my head and, and was so nervous and had that blackout feeling. And so I was trying to have this conversation, but only 5% of me was present having the conversation. What percent of the time were you blacking out? Oh, avoiding blacking out? Yeah. It felt like the whole show. Really? I mean, well, maybe not. I mean, there were moments, but... <laughs> uh, and then and then we went and got cryotherapy afterwards, which felt amazing. Yeah. And then we just sat and talked for another two hours. And I was like, like this, oh, is I, podcast, wait, this, this is the podcast, Joe. Light the mics back oh, up. Oh, but I'm so I'm so glad you said that because sometimes I think I'm the only one. Because I'm like, I think Ooh. most people think they're the mm -hmm. only one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think leading with vulnerability, but then the issue with that is then you get the bullshit faux veneer vulnerability because right. that's you know what the polls are saying do best. You know, right. I get the most hearts on my thing when I say some vulnerable bullshit. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I know. It's like, is it vulnerability for likability or is it that's really? That's the whole issue with yeah. the whole new age spiritual movement. I avoid most of those standardized new age words like doing the work and holding mm -hmm. space mm -hmm. and you know, all of the things, mm -hmm. which I think the root of them is fantastic. Um, mm -hmm. But what is it? I was listening to Ram Dass talk about it this morning. I actually have, here, give me my, my little, he, he said it so much better than I ever could. I wrote it down. He says, much of, much of the new age movement is basically an egoic ripoff of spiritual concepts by people who desire, desire power because they're still rooted in fear. The soul is not rooted in fear. The soul is doing fine. So true. And so, so it's like that is the mud on all the spiritual, yeah. the whole concept of spirituality, which I don't even say the word spiritual very much. I only just started kind of flirting with like, oh yeah, like spiritual work. 
Mm-hmm. You know, even though hopefully a lot of my life has been that, whether I realize it or not, uh, I just all the barnacles that have been attached to the whole new age movement. Uh, it's a real bummer because it's good yeah. stuff at the root. It is, and it's just been marketed very. It's been marketed well, but it's still been diluted because uh-huh. of it. And I have to say, the best spiritual teachers I've been around don't have a social media following. Yeah. They just are so embodied in it. And, um, you know, I, I try to use those terms like holding space and doing the work with some reverence. And to me, um, they do have meaning. Because I think, you know, I started really, so I saw my first shrink when I was 11 and my first life coach when I was 21. And was into all this stuff before social media and before it was cool and started life coaching people in 2004 when people were like, what sport do you coach? What do you do? And no clue what it was. And I'm really grateful for that because I kind of got to get into it before it got so marketed, I guess. And I agree with you in terms of that vulnerability. I think we all want to be vulnerable, but we want to do it with authenticity and we don't want to do it just for being liked. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but you just figure out how to just be. Mm. But if you're coming from that place of of learning to do, you know, you can feel guilty about being. Yeah. It's like getting to that point of feeling comfortable, safe, secure in your relationships, in your home, in your, you know, all which is all likely yeah. a projection of your internal reality. For sure. For sure. And then at what point do you leverage the external in order to augment or amplify or you know change the internal is it does it all just is it chicken or the egg is mm. everything out here from in here i think do they, so. are they dancing back and forth i i really do think the outer experience is a reflection of inner reality mm. you know two people can ha- like go through the exact same spirit experience but have it mean totally different things and have have the totally different result from the experience you know i've seen it I've seen two clients go through divorce or two clients go through the same cancer diagnosis or two clients go through a layoff at the same time. And depending on how they navigate it, they have a completely different result. So I think that, you know, how we can use external experiences to help us grow, to be like, hmm, what's that teaching me or what's that triggering in me? But I do think it's, it's the, it's the, the internal that is everything, everything outside of us and everything that comes in is a reflection of our thoughts and perceptions and beliefs and unconscious internally. It feels like to me, ultimately, it's just coming to some acceptance or peace with the the, the stories that we're running inside of our minds. Yeah. You know, and it, it's like it's like we are, you know, the way that I perceive a scenario is based off of the, the story that I'm running about it and, and more like kind of Ram Dass, Eckhart Tolle kind of business. If you could look at, Every scenario, every breath that you take, every car accident or traffic violation, fine thing, or girlfriend, boyfriend breakup, mm-hmm. like any anything at all, your dog pooped on the floor. Mm-hmm. That was an opportunity for yeah. growth. That yep. was an opportunity to get closer to God. We're always walking each other home. Yep. You know, so this conversation right now, mm-hmm. we think we're doing this podcast and maybe you know we're promoting a thing or we're selling a thing or, or we're just trying to bear our hearts or whatever the hell we think we're doing. Uh, the undercurrent of that is we're a part of walking each other home, mm-hmm. which is a, a story, mm-hmm. but it's it's that's like, okay, cool, I can get with that. Even the people that really trigger us. <laughs> Even the people that really hurt Especially us. Especially the yeah. ones that trigger us. Yeah, for sure. They're yeah, all if you don't trigger me, then what are we doing? Yeah, 
Yeah. And then I think there's balance as well where it's like sometimes you just need a cuddle. You don't need a trigger. I, I agree. There's so much healing in that. You know, I have found, especially in my marriage, so much healing just in being in a loving, safe container. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's beautiful. And it allows a child to wander. It does. They feel anchored at home. They it feel does. safe. Their parents are going to be there. There's going to be food in the fridge. There's not that sensation of like, I'm not sure what I'm going to come back to. I should probably kind of contract and stay close. Yeah. But if it feels just rock solid anchor, then all of a sudden I can extend my line and kind of let yeah. it swing around. And I can, yeah. I can wander. Yeah, and the more anchors you have, so I like to think of you know I have my my anchor to God, then I have my anchor to me, and then I have my anchor pri- to my primary partner Steph. Not primary. We're not in a polyamorous relationship to my partner Steph, and those three things. You know, um, a tripod's the sturdiest thing we have, you know, three-legged stool or whatever is so sturdy. And to me, that's that's really all I need. Is a three-legged stool more sturdy than a four-legged? I think so. Really? I think so. All right. What I don't you, know. What if you push it like... <laughs> I don't know. I'm just making it up, but it sounds good. We can throw in a fourth well, if it triangles, makes it better. triangles are strong. They're push very down strong. is strong. Well, and I, think, <laughs> I really think a tripod, in terms of like what day's most balanced, is that. I think so. That's why cameras right. and everything are on a tripod. You reckon? I think so. I'm not a I'm going with it. <laughs> I'm going with it. It's a whole like Trinity thing. It's everything. It all goes together. Yeah, I'm with that. Um, thanks so much. It's my pleasure. I just want to say one more thing. Yes, please. So I know there's a lot of people listening that are doing the work or whatever we yeah. want to say that is. Right. And one thing that I would just be mindful of as you're doing the work is not to come at it like there's anything wrong with you or like you're broken the best energy you can come at, it's really you're, you're evolving. You don't even have to call it doing the work. You're evolving, you're learning, you're growing. Come at it with compassion. Come at it with acceptance. Come at it with, I'm going into this workshop or listening to this podcast or seeing this coach from a place of I love and accept myself so much exactly as I am. And I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to heal. I want to leave behind anything that isn't serving me. I see too many people in the work and in personal development, unconsciously or consciously running a program that there's something wrong with them and this is going to fix them. Yeah. And if they do the work, then they'll have the relationship. If they do the work, then they'll have the money. And when you come at it like that, you're constantly reinforcing a not enoughness belief. Yeah, I'm broken. Totally. And that's why this industry makes some good money is yeah. because they hit on that pain point of I'm broken. So you're not broken. No one's broken. You don't need to be fixed. It's not that. You're you're a beautiful, spiritual being having a human experience that's choosing to learn and grow and evolve. And anything we do that grows our consciousness, that helps us heal, that makes us feel safe and supported is great. Anything we do that makes us feel broken or like something's wrong with us, mm, wrong. Get out of there. Yeah, it's like you were whole all along. Yes. And this experience is just a process of remembering that. Exactly. So even as you're remembering it, you're whole. For sure. And this is just a process of remembering. Yep. You don't have to learn who you are. You just have to remember. Mm. It's damn amnesia. It is. It is. <laughs> it's a human thing. All right. I so greatly appreciate you. And you're, oh. you, were, you were one of my most valued, uh, I was going to say females, but humans in general oh, in relation you. to these conversations. Thank and I appreciate you, you uh, what I perceive to be a, a genuine, authentic being that mm. is doing the work. And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay with using those types of words around you. <laughs> Um, thank you so much. And uh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks. Uh, where can people learn more about you? 
books? Like, what's mm. what's the best place if people want to go deeper into this conversation, cultivating their own relationships, relationship with themselves? Yeah, thank you for that. So, christinehassler.com is the website. Sign up there. You can learn about all the things and take my coaching assessment. The inner child workshop I talked about is coming up in March, and that's a virtual workshop. So people can attend from all over the world and it's recorded. And that is really beautiful. We did two last year, two level ones and one level two. And the results people have, I mean, it's been life-changing, really, truly. I do not say that in a markety kind of way. Like we continue to get responses from people about how life-changing it was. So that's just christinehaster.com slash inner child. And then that. Instagram is my favorite social that. media place. And I have um, all sorts of confirmation from friends that I respect deeply that are doing amazing things in the world that also confirm with me that like Christine Hassler, mm. she's she's the shit. Oh, thank you. Not that you need any more validation. Well, it, 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 I won't but lie. For people It is nice to hear, um, I, you know, and it it has been my top value my whole life. It's been growth. Mm. So it's it's what I'm committed to. And I just... I I feel really blessed and honored that I'm able to use my experiences and the things that I've learned and amazing teachers that I've had in my life and be able to pass that wisdom on. Thank you for passing it here. My pleasure. All right. Over and out, bitches. Thank you guys so much for tuning into that conversation with the homie, Christine Hassler. If y'all did enjoy it and you think it would be valuable for other people as well, feel free to share it on the gram. You can tag me at Align Podcast. You can tag Christine at Christine Hassler. It is always such a sweet thing to see your guys' comments and experiences. Oftentimes we do these podcasts as in, you know, pretty much always. It's We're talking to each other. It goes out in the world. And getting to feel, hear, see the impact it has on you, it truly is meaningful. So thank you guys so much for tagging us, posting it, sharing it with friends if you did find it meaningful. Reviews on the iTunes, on Spotify, any of those places where you're listening to it are also very supportive if you are compelled to drop us a line there. All right. I appreciate you and uh, hope you're having an exceptional day. Hope you are living your best life. And most of all, I hope this was supportive to you. Thank you, guys.